The epistle lesson comes from Paul's second letter to Timothy, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. You can find this on page 1181 of the Pew Bible. Please stand again as you are able for God's holy word. From 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, we read in Jesus' name. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Father, these are your words. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is faithful. Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. It's just who he is. When we are weak, when we have doubts, when we are sinful, when we are unfaithful to him, he remains faithful. It's who he is. It is his nature to be faithful. He has promised to forgive us. He has promised to love us. He has promised to protect us, his sheep. And he keeps his promises. Even when we are faithless, he keeps his promises. Because his promises do not depend on us. His promises depend on his gracious and faithful character. If he were to break his promises, he would deny his own nature. It is simply not in his nature to break promises. It is not in his nature to be unfaithful. To do so would be to deny himself, and he cannot do that. Therefore, when we are faithless, he remains faithful. Christians, we often feel like we don't have enough faith. We have doubts, and these doubts are not good, but they are, well, kind of normal for Christians to have doubts. We might doubt that Jesus is really the Son of God, or that he was born of a Virgin Mary, or that he really rose from the dead. We might doubt that God created the world in six days or that he sent a flood to cover the earth. We might doubt other historical events recorded in the Bible. And none of this is good, but it is normal, we can admit. It's common, we can admit, for Christians to have doubts. And you know, it's kind of strange sometimes. We might know these things. 
We might know the evidence for them. We might know that it is completely reasonable to believe these things. And yet, we might still have doubts. We might wonder, what if? What if I have believed in vain? Our doubts can be more personal, too. We might look at these specific doubts and wonder then if we have enough faith. We might wonder if God can still love us in spite of our doubts. We might wonder if God can keep forgiving our sins over and over and over again. When you go to confession, you might confess the same sins over and over again because, well, you keep committing those same sins. And when we get to the point where we get tired and bored even of confessing the same sins over and over again, we might start to wonder if God is getting tired of it too. At what point does he draw a limit to forgiveness? Am I close to that limit? Have I crossed that limit? Even if we know that our doubts are lies, we still wrestle with them. And we might fear that the existence of our doubts means that we don't have enough faith. And so it's kind of funny that our doubts make us doubt whether or not we're truly saved. And this seems to be a common experience of Christians, that we don't believe as strongly as we want to believe. We often feel faithless. And so we say things like, I must not have enough faith. And if you say that, you know what? You're right. You don't. There are even some false teachers who say, if you don't get everything that you pray for, it's because you don't have enough faith. That is a false and destructive teaching because it's really not the amount of faith that matters. It's who you trust in that matters. The key word in this passage is faithful. Jesus is faithful, and he desires for his people to be faithful as well. Paul is writing this letter to his young protege. He even calls him his child here. That's how, how dearly he held Timothy. He's writing to Timothy, and he instructs him to continue teaching what Paul had taught him and also to entrust that teaching to other faithful men who will be able to teach also. And so the first use of the word faithful has to do with Christian teachers. It is God's will that pastors and teachers would faithfully teach the word of God. Now, Timothy, he did this by following the teaching that Paul had entrusted to him. And today, Christian pastors and teachers, they do the same thing by following the teaching of the scriptures. There we have those very words of Paul that were entrusted to Timothy, as well as we also have the words of the other apostles, uh, and all that is recorded in the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, we have the faithful words of the prophets. And so any Christian pastor or teacher must be faithful to the Holy Scriptures. Now, there are many different things that you might look for in a pastor. And I bring this up, one so that you can hold me accountable to what I'm supposed to do and what I'm supposed to be. And two, because I will probably not be the pastor of this church until Christ returns. At some point, I don't know when, you will look for another pastor. And there are many things you might be tempted to look for in a pastor. You might want an engaging speaker. You might want him to be intelligent, humorous, or a good storyteller. Maybe you want someone with an outgoing personality or a cool edge so he can relate to the youth. 
You might want him to be very political or never political, and that probably swings back and forth depending on whether or not he fits your politics. You might want a good administrator or a team builder who can grow the church. And some of these things, probably most of these things are good. Some might not be so good. But there is one attribute that you should look for above everything else. Faithfulness. Is he faithful to the word of God? And is he faithful to God's call? That is, does he teach the scriptures accurately and clearly? And does he do the things that he's called to do? Besides teaching, does he also visit the sick and the distressed? When you're wandering into sin, does he call you to repentance? A pastor might be many things, and he might be good at many things, but the one thing you must demand is faithfulness. And you know, it feels a little bit weird for me as your pastor to be teaching you about the pastoral office. But as we just read, this is part of God's word, and you need to know how to spot a faithful pastor. If you get a pastor who has many great abilities, but he's not faithful to the word of God, his great abilities will not help you at all, but rather harm you. He might preach interesting and engaging sermons to a large congregation, and everyone feels good about that. But if he's not teaching the word of God, he will help no one but do harm instead. And so this is the one thing that you should demand above everything else, faithfulness. And with this in mind, Paul goes on to remind Timothy of the core of his teaching so that Timothy can be faithful to it. And the core of his teaching is this, Jesus Christ. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, offspring of David as preached in my gospel. If a pastor is faithful, he will teach you about Jesus. For Paul, the gospel of Jesus Christ was worth more than anything. He was suffering as a criminal for this good news. He says, bound with chains as a criminal. One of the things that I love about 2 Timothy is that we get a little bit of a glimpse into Paul's spirit here. Paul had learned to set his hope on something outside of himself. Now, this isn't something that we can just do to our own hearts, but this is a gift from the Holy Spirit. And so we should pray that the Holy Spirit would give this same gift to us. Paul cared more about the spread of the gospel than he did about his own life. He was bound with chains, but that was fine. The thing that he really cared about was not bound with chains. And so he expresses his great joy by saying, but the word of God is not bound. The authorities could bind Paul, but they could not bind the word of God. It kept spreading, and that really was Paul's great joy. The secret to a joyful life is to care about something else more than yourself. And if that something else cannot fail, then you'll never be disappointed. And the only things that cannot fail are God and his gifts. And so Paul found his joy in Jesus Christ. And the one thing Paul cared about more than anything else in the entire world is the word of God. He cared about the success of the word of God more than he cared about his own well-being. And so when his well-being was attacked and threatened, his joy was undiminished because he cared more about the word of God, and the word of God does not fail. As Paul sat in his prison cell, 
He heard reports of the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached all over the world. People were hearing the good news. They were repenting of their sins. They were being forgiven of their sins. They were trusting in Jesus. They were receiving eternal salvation. Paul's heart had come to desire the same thing God desires. And so instead of being disappointed by his own misfortune, he found joy in God's success. Now this is not something that we can just make our hearts do. Our sinful natures are curved in on ourselves. And so we should pray that God would take our concern off of ourselves so that we would desire the same things that he desires. And then when he succeeds, we will share in his joy. God desires to share his joy with us. He doesn't keep it for himself, but he gives it to his children. We see this in the little hymn that Paul includes. We don't know if Paul was quoting this hymn or if he wrote it himself. It seems like he's quoting it from someone else, but it's absolutely beautiful. The first line he says, If we have died with him, that is Jesus, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. And this reminds us of our baptisms. Baptism is dying and rising with Jesus. This is one of the things that Paul often emphasizes about baptism. In a few places, I'll, I'll share one of them with you. In Romans chapter 6, he says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Baptism is all about Jesus sharing his death and resurrection with us. His death was the payment for all our sin. He shares that death with us so that through baptism we might die with him. This is a non-fatal kind of death. The death sentence that we all deserved was carried out was, was placed on Jesus, and it's carried out. We're joined to that through baptism. And so we share in the death that Jesus died for us. And if we share in that death, well, then what do we also share in? We share in his resurrection. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. The next line of the hymn, if we endure, we will also reign with him. And this is the reward for all who endure suffering for Jesus' sake. If we do not give up the faith in the midst of persecution or suffering, a crown of life awaits us. When Jesus promises us eternal life, he doesn't mean that we will be servants or peasants in his kingdom. He does not promise us middle management either. He promises that we will reign with him. We come into God's kingdom not as servants, but as children. And if we are his children, then we are heirs of his kingdom. And so you don't get a part of God's kingdom. You get the whole thing. And so Paul says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. But there's also a warning, and we don't want to overlook this. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And so if you decide that you love this world more, or you love yourself more so that you deny Jesus and chase after something else, he will also deny you. 
On the judgment day, he will say, I never knew you. Depart from me. If you want to go your own way, you can. A lot of people do, and the end of that road is destruction. But this warning might make us fear, and we should not fear unnecessarily. And so this next line is very intentional. We might think, what if that's me? I don't want it to be me, but sometimes I just feel so weak. But there's a difference between denial and faithlessness. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. You don't have enough faith. Let's just be honest. Me neither. No doubt about it. If it depends on how much faith we have, we don't have enough of it. In the gospel lesson last week, if you have a a seven-day memory, in the gospel lesson last week, we heard Jesus say, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, some might take this to mean that if you just have a little bit of faith, you can do great things. And that might be true, but it's not really the point. 2,000 years later, I still have not heard of a single person who has moved a tree into the sea just by talking to it. And all you need in order to do that is just a little bit of faith, a mustard seed of faith, which, by the way, is really, really small. How much more faith would it take to move yourself from this earth to heaven? If it's your faith that you trust in, you certainly do not have enough. Furthermore, if you trust in your faith, you're not actually trusting in Jesus, and that's not really faith. But if it is Jesus whom you trust in, then the size of your faith doesn't matter. True faith does not depend on itself. True faith does not depend on its own size. True faith depends only on Jesus. And that means that you can be saved in spite of your doubts and in spite of your faithlessness. The only thing that matters, then, is Jesus' faithfulness. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. We certainly do not deserve his faithfulness, but he remains faithful because it is his nature. He has promised to seek you when you stray. He's promised to bring you back. He's promised to forgive you over and over and over again. He has promised to love you. He has promised to preserve you. And he cannot break his promises. It is his nature to be faithful. To do otherwise would be to deny himself, and he simply cannot do that. If there is one thing that God cannot do, it's this. He cannot contradict his own nature. That is, he cannot deny himself. He cannot be the opposite of how he is. And it is his nature to be faithful. And if it is his nature to be faithful, that means, of course, that he cannot be unfaithful. And so it is his nature to keep his promises. Therefore, he cannot break his promises. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Amen. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, 
Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.